Friends, invite you to open up into your Bibles to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. I woke up this morning with a little bit of a, like lost my, losing my voice a little bit. Not, and I'm not, I don't have a cold or anything. Um, trying to, who got the Rona? I could, I could smell, I could still smell, I think. I, I think I could still have a sense of taste. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I'm just wondering what could, what could have gone on in the last couple of days that could be, that caused me to lose my voice. Anybody else? Uh, maybe a baseball, baseball game or so. Uh, <clears throat> I will push through. I am pushing through. Um, this morning, our passage of scripture is going to be Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three. And uh, the, the scripture reading will be verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. But the main part of our teaching is going to come from verses 3 through 8. And today's will be, and, and you can follow along in your handout. If you have a handout from this week, you can uh, follow along. Uh, that might help us in the flow of the teaching this morning. Um, but this passage is one of the one of the most beautiful, elegant little uh, descriptions of the gospel here. Every line just packed with so much significance and meaning. It's a passage I love very, very much. And so we'll read if you follow along, I'll read Titus chapter three, verses one through eight. Where the Apostle Paul says to Titus. And to the church on the island of Crete. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is the reading of God's word. We say, thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, we, we now come to having heard your word. God, I would ask that here in these moments. That the, um, the main points, the main emphases in these passage, this passage would come through loud and clear. God, I would pray that even now that you would 
be removing veils from eyes, that you would be softening people's hearts, that your spirit would do a work of conviction of, of sin. And that the Spirit would open up our eyes to see the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, God, here in these next few moments, may you be glorified as this amazing good news is expounded and put before us. We pray that you would do this. We beg that you would do this through the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen and amen. So this morning, we're going to uh, um, look at what I'm calling the, what what I'm calling um, a gospel grounded grid. So if you are following along in your handout and want to see, see this. See, gospel grounded grid, a little review of where we are in the Titus series. Church basics is the church should know its mission, as we saw in part one, the emphasis on expository preaching in part two, a commitment to sound doctrine. We saw in part three, uh, the appointment of qualified leaders. And we saw that those, those were examples for for all of us to follow. And whole body discipleship that we saw last week in chapter 2. And today I think another church basic is this gospel grounded grid. What do do I mean by grid? Gospel grounded grid. What I mean by that is I think that there's a a, a three and four. I'll call it four part. Four G's I think that will help us to understand it's a grid is, is kind of the, the grid or lens that we can look through and see everything in life. I think it makes sense of everything. And so we're going to look at part one of this this morning, and then the rest of it we will look at next week. So this morning we're going to look at the first three G's of this gospel grounded grid. First one is this guilt verse three. Paul says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Here's a clear and open description. I would say fairly, fairly comprehensive description of our fallen and sinful state. The state on which we come into this world. Nobody comes into this world kind of morally neutral. All of us are born in sin and born in Adam's sin. I think Paul makes this really clear in Romans chapter 5. That every single person in humanity falls under one of two heads, two representatives. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ by faith. And all of us come into this world in this fallen state in Adam. Adam's sin has now become our sin. 
And that's the condition that we come into this world. So uh, we were talking about with the, the guys in our um, Bible study the other night. Uh, I think I made this comment. The, um, we, don't, uh, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Our sinful behaviors and actions come as a result of the state in which we come into the world. And Paul describes this really well here in verse 3. Talking, reminding this group of believers through Titus, this group of Christians, Gentile Christians likely, on the island of, of Crete. He reminds them of their past state. What they have been delivered and redeemed from. And he says this in several different key words. We were foolish. Maybe this is an allusion to the, uh, the Psalms that say, it says that a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So maybe this is the godless direction or bent, the natural uh, bent of our hearts to, to deny God and to reject, uh, to reject his, his existence in our life. Not only were we foolish, Paul says, but we were also disobedient. Well, disobedient to, to what? I think this could be a general term, disobedient to, to everything, but I think in particular disobedient to God. Disobedient to his moral law. Well, wait a second. These are likely Gentiles. How could they be disobedient to his moral law like the Ten Commandments? They wouldn't have known. Well, Paul in Romans chapter 2 makes it quite clear that even Gentiles who don't have the law know the law. It's on their heart. So they were disobedient to, to the revelation that they have been given. Not only are we foolish and disobedient, we're, we're led astray, perhaps led astray by, um, by Satan and his deceptive schemes. And don't think that if you're foolish and disobedient and led astray that you're just free. You're, you're just living in a, in a state of freedom. Paul here and elsewhere says that that actual condition is not a state of freedom as a liberation away from God. Any sort of liberation away from God is essentially slavery. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. And then he says this, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Two interesting things there. One, the passing our days kind of points to this state of life apart from God is pointlessness and purposelessness. The days just kind of pass on by. Like when you're driving on a long freeway at night and you just see the road coming under you on a long trip. That's your, your life, your days passing away with pointlessness and purposelessness in life. Because they're spent in slavery to your own passions and to your own pleasures. And then the characterization of this life 
is one of hate. You are hated by others, and you're hating one another, Paul says. The results of this, of course, Paul makes clear elsewhere, and the rest of the New Testament elsewhere, and Old Testament makes this clear, that the result of this guilt, this guilt that we stand in, this guilt that we're born in, this guilt that we are passing our days in, results in judgment. It results in death. And it results in in eternity in that dreaded state or worse. So I think Paula here is giving uh, the first thing for us to always keep in mind before our eyes. And that is our guilt. If you're a Christian, it's your past guilt. If you're not a Christian, this is your present state. But for those who Paul is writing to here, who have professed faith in Christ, to those of you who have professed Christ in, faith in Christ, this is describing your past state. And he always wants to remind you of your past state. Why? So that you could see the beauties of the present state, which is the second one. Grace. Guilt and grace. And Paul spends the most amount of time here, verses 4 through 7. One of the most beautiful, again, as I said, passages in the New Testament. Notice it begins with the goodness of God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Right? So you move from, from guilt, you move to grace, but you actually start with God. You start with his very nature and his essence, his attributes of who he is, his goodness. Has appeared. His loving kindness. The, the Greek word there is uh, the same word where we get philanthropy, you know, philanthropia, you know, the love, uh, love of humankind or hospitality. The love that God has shown. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, Verse 5, he saved us. So this is salvation. Salvation, however, is not, okay, what this is not based on, he continues in verse 5, it's not because of works done by us in righteousness. God doesn't give us a, a moral plan for us to just kind of, Here's a way that you can improve to offset the bad deeds that you have done. And if you get on the right path, eventually you can do more good deeds than bad. And at the end, God will balance the scales. That is not how it works. There's no amount of good that can be done in righteousness on your part. God saves us. Why? Because of goodness done by us in righteousness? No. God saves us because of his goodness and loving kindness. So it's not by our works done in righteousness because we are in, unable to do it. This is man's inability. This is the key concept you want to get. Man's inability to do any good meriting righteousness before God. So salvation 
is not by works done by us, because we are unable and powerless to do so, but it is because of God's mercy. Purely on God's mercy and his grace. It's his power in our powerlessness. It's, in, it's his love in our lovelessness. So it is salvation not because of works, but because of his mercy. And here's another key concept for us to get. That this salvation is not because of works, but because of mercy. It is also by a couple of things. First one, regeneration. Okay, I know that's a big word, kids. Want to write that down? Regeneration. And next to that, kids of all ages, you could write John chapter 3. Because think John chapter 3, Jesus gives some instructions. As he goes to a man named Nicodemus, who invites him over to his house. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus being a Pharisee, he's a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Or you could put, as it might have there in the ESV footnote, from above. Could be either way. I actually prefer that one. I think that that one actually makes more sense. Born again would kind of signify that, you know, the result. Which is true. But I think that, um, that it should be pointed out, the source of this regeneration or being born again is from God. You are born from above. Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate talks to him about the authority that he has. I have the authority to, to, to kill you. I have the authority to put you in and to, uh, to, to let you free. And Jesus said, says to him, you have no authority at all except the authority that has been given you. And it's the same Greek word, from above. Meaning, this is from God. It's the origin and source from where this comes. So you are born of God. Or you need to be, Jesus says, which lines in with what Jesus says in the um, chapter 1 of John's gospel. But to all who did receive him, to believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. So Jesus says you need to be born from above. And unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said to him, well, how, how can this, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time into his mother womb and be born again? He's, 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 uh, he's, Jesus is using kind of this, this Greek word in such a way as to, it could mean both of these things. He's understanding it this way. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is 
with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Born of God. Born from above. This is the, this is the idea behind what Paul is saying here in Titus chapter 3. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Salvation comes, this is that key concept, through regeneration from God. And here's the second key concept, substitutionary atonement. You can kind of see this here. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus, who's poured out his life through suffering on the cross. This becomes the means by which God pours out his mercy upon us. So it's a salvation, not based on our good works, but on God's mercy by washing and regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And through the work of Christ, of, uh, through the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it is for this thing. Key concept, justification by faith. Justification. All right, kids, justification. This is a, a legal term. If you got into a court of law and you were in trouble and then you were found, you were declared innocent, declared not guilty. We'll say that. That's what the word justification means. And here Paul says that we are justified by his grace. This is the, the solas of the Reformation. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so here's the last two key concepts to get. Inheritance. So that we might become heirs. So we become co-heirs with Christ. Could probably spend an entire sermon just unpacking that. Looking at what all of that means in all of the scriptures. That basically the, the work of Christ. What he has come to come to earth. To humiliate himself. Humble himself. Even humbling self, himself to obedience. To death on a cross. That God has raised him up and has exalted him to the highest of places at the right hand of the majesty on high. So that by this work of obedience, what he has done is he's now inherited a kingdom. And he's inherited subjects of that kingdom. All who would put faith in him. So we become co-heirs with Christ in all of his blessings. So that we might become heirs, and this, this inheritance is according to the hope of eternal life. Now this is, uh, got to understand how biblical writers use this word hope. It's not just a like, oh, I hope this is going to happen. You know, it, it, it could go either way. The Dodgers, the Dodgers could win tonight, they could lose tonight. I hope that they'd win. That's not quite this. This is more like the grounded assurance and confidence. <laughs> We have this hope of eternal life. Not, oh, I just, I hope that, hope Jesus wins one day. And we have the assurance of it. And we trust in it. And we have confidence in it. 
That is life that's eternal. It's life that's abundant. It's a life that is an eternal life in perfect, a perfect new creation with Christ in his kingdom forever and ever. And every enemy will be defeated. This, Paul packs into these just few couple of, of verses here on grace. How, how best to summarize this than just grace. The grace of God. That this is a gift that's given to, to us. We receive it by faith. As John said, to all who would receive him, to would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So here's the grid by which we can look through everything in our life, everything that happens, everything, every news story, every news article. We must remember our guilt before God. The status that we were in as our, uh, our human state as we come into the world. And in the midst of that state, God delivers us from that. And his grace causes all of this to happen for us. His mercy, regeneration, substitutionary atonement, justification by faith. And so here's the third G of this grid. And that's the last one is gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. And by this, is this is talking about kind of the, the internal state that we have. Next week, we're going to look at the external manifestation of, of this. But when we consider the guilt that we had before God and our utter inability to extricate ourselves from sin and death and hell, and then we realize that we are saved by the grace of God, that should free you up out of gratitude in your heart to follow Christ, to follow him. The response of a regenerated person would be one of gratitude. The response of a redeemed person should be one of gratitude. We would say, I follow Christ because of what he's done for me. Not in any sort of way to kind of leverage God. To, to pay him off. To bribe him in any way. I just receive this wonderful gift that he's given. And that out of gratitude and overflowing joy in my heart. We follow. Guilt. Grace. And gratitude. That's the gospel. And is that true for you? I think if those those things are true for you and your Christian who's professed faith in Christ, maybe this could be could be a helpful way of thinking through your own story. I think it would be a very interesting exercise following these three three these three points. If you could tell your life story through three these these three points. This might be an interesting exercise for all of you to do, maybe in your home groups, 
to talk through this guilt, grace, and gratitude. Could you, in a minute or so, give a summary of your life before Christ? Would it match what Paul says here? Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. One minute. And then in a second minute, explain the grace of God. Explain how through faith you've come to a relationship with God. Maybe you could use these kinds of this very scriptural language. Maybe you could tell exactly how it happened to you. For some, it may have been a very profound, radical kind of conversion. For others, it may have been a conversion that has taken place over time. God's process of working in your heart took place in moments and episodes uh, over a period of, of days, weeks, months, or years. But could you explain that? In your story, guilt, grace. And then how, uh, how would you explain in a minute or so your life as a result of experiencing this grace and mercy of Christ? Don't normally give homework assignments, but I think that would be a homework assignment for, for all of you to do. Could you tell your story using that gospel grid of guilt, grace, and gratitude? Because this is a beautiful passage. This is a beautiful gospel. This is wonderful good news. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. Amen. Let's let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your good, this good news. We thank you that you have came to us in our sinful condition and in the middle of our guilt. That you had condescended to us and sent your son to us. That Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. After living a pure and perfect righteous life before you. We thank you that you have raised him from the dead and that all of us who would trust in him would receive your grace. And God, when we think through our past and our present status before you because of your grace. God, may you renew in all of our hearts an internal gratitude and joy and thankfulness for what Christ has done. 
Help us by your spirit to now walk in a way that honors and is pleasing to you. Where we would follow your commands and we would follow your law. God, we pray that you would do that in and through us. Through the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that all of us say, Amen. Amen. Friends, would you uh, stand for our closing benediction to send us off this morning? Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.